Hey, this is More Than Velocity. I'm Bart Pear here with Ryan Croton and Jordan Oseguera. And today we've got uh, Michael Votes. He's a um, doctor of physical therapy. He's got his own facility over in the Philadelphia area called the Movement Science Project. And uh, excited to talk about him. You know, the, the cool thing about arm care is we've got people from different fields out there and different ways or, or finding out about arm care and using it um, in different ways. And so we always like to look at what they're doing. So Ryan, you know Michael pretty well. Why don't you why don't you start us off here and get us set up? Yeah, I mean, the way we met each other is kind of it, it's interesting. You know, he he was also very uh, curious about the armcare.com platform early on and we started bridge a connection. Um, but we it, we have a mutual contact and Dr. Stephen Thomas who's actually been on one of our uh, meetings internally. Um, we definitely need to get him on a, a podcast early on when I was hired. And we've been going back and forth on really deep elements in terms of how injuries are occurring and especially what's happening with contractures post-pitching. For those of you who don't know, that means it's, you know, basically why our muscles are tightening down um, in response to throwing. And so as things evolved and we produced a couple of uh, certifications, you know, Michael's taken these and, and he's now a, an arm care elite member. And we started to have these mastermind uh, meetings together, these webinars, and also these open office hours that we just rattle off new information. Um, so, you know, he contributes a lot, in my opinion, to the field of high performance in baseball. And he's got some really interesting perspectives. And I know on the neurological side, maybe we should start there, Michael, you know, about some of the the things that you're involved in, the things that you're studying, um, because I do think there is a it, just a high influence on our mantra strength matters most you know and how to recover the arm and prepare it uh for battle so i want to turn it over to you buddy yeah no hey i appreciate it and first off thanks guys for having me on um definitely i'm excited to to talk shop with you guys and 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 hopefully uh hopefully put some good information out there for everybody so um i think to ryan's point when when i had a buddy of mine who's a who's a strength coach who was kind of on board looking at the arm care stuff before me and he was one of the first guys that said hey you check this out yet and um and i kind of started following what you guys were doing and um you know you guys are you guys use that like the, the strength matters most mantra and so i i teach in the dry needling world world and what we would talk about all the time with our uh in our courses was you have to have stability before you have mobility um, so we just kind of said it a different way, but it was saying the same kind of thing. And I think that was one of the things that kind of turned me on right away to what you guys were doing um, with that. You guys are like, look, it's not just about, uh, you know, doing a paper stretch and getting internal rotation. You know, not everybody needs to, to worry about their GERD. Um, we might have to look at the strength and what's going on because their range of motion loss could be from lack of strength, lack of stability. Um, so that's kind of what got me into the, into the arm care side of things. But as far as the, the neuro side of things, um, again, that kind of came to me through the, through the dry needling world from some of the mentors that I've worked with. Um, and what I started finding was in our, a lot of our, our, our throwers, we'd have, you know, they'd be labeled as having weakness or having impingement or something like that. And then when you kind of really sit down and do like a full differential diagnosis on, you find these guys that have what we call myotomal weakness. So more or less it's coming a lot of times from the neck um, where they've got multi, uh, multiple areas of musculature that are weak and they line up with the same level on the cervical spine. And so I'd start kind of treating it from the spine down and see what we got there and have them really pretty good results there. 
Um, and so that kind of took me into like, well, what's really the neurological control of the shoulder? Like, how does it really work? Um, what, what are the things that, that we're kind of missing on that end? Um, and I would say, oh, one of the other things that, that also got me excited about arm care was like, you're some of the few people that don't ignore the subscapularis out there. Everybody loves to do only external rotation, which is really important. Um, but like some of the few people that are like, hey, by the way, there's one on the front side of the shoulder that has to control that layback, that external rotation. And I was like, hallelujah for other people that <laughs> feel the same way about, about the subscap as I do. Um, and so that's one of my, like, in all, in all honesty, like I love the feel of the shoulder. I love the neurology of it. Um, but even just the, the anatomical relationship of the subscap and how it has massive stabilization effects is, is huge for me. But um, so I would say, you know, one on the neuro, neuro, neurological side that, um, you know, the myotomal assessment definitely is something that we have to do in our rehab side a little bit better, whether it's operative or non-operative. I think we need to both. Um, and then again, as I kind of started to look more and more granular at what happens at the shoulder, um, there's something to go way, way back in the in the kind of anatomical literature there was a guy dr hilton that was like in the 1800s that figured out that the innervation um for any body part really it's the same on the skin as it is for the musculature as it is down to the joint capsule uh and the ligament so in other words um on the front side of your shoulder so i've got my subscapularis controlling the front side of my shoulder <clears throat> a lot of the skin is innervated by the uh, subscapular nerve the muscle is and then the capsule itself is also innervated by that by that same and, and it'll change like if this is our this is our joint capsule if you, if it, if you think about it as a circle um you know the front side of it will be innervated by one nerve the top will be innervated by another back and inferiorly all innervated by different parts of the nervous system um, and so that's when you kind of start to realize like this is this system is really functionally integrated the dynamic stabilizers meaning the musculature and then the static meaning the um, capsule the ligament they're functionally integrated by the nervous system, right so there's there's literally the same nervous system that's telling the muscle to contract is getting information from uh, the joint capsule and from the labrum and from the ligaments that are attaching the tendons all these uh, different structures in there structures in there are all sending information back to same area back to the same muscle spindle which then goes back to the central nervous system so <clears throat> it's literally this, this functionally integrated system on the nervous system level but then also structurally because we know that there's um, attachments of the rotator cuff into the capsule we know that there's attachments on anterior and posterior side um, the tendon will attach in and in some spots the muscle goes directly into the capsule as well so it's like you've got a capsule that's almost contractile um, and, and again, I know, I know you guys are not real big fans of this either. It's like, we got a capsule that's contractile and the, and we want to crank this thing into internal rotation and stretch it more. It's like, we actually probably need to strengthen this thing because it really needs, um, it really needs that, that stability and that feedback in there from the, from the musculature and from the nervous system. That's kind of a 30,000 foot view of it. Um, yeah. Like I, another hour. I, we can yeah. I, I, I wanted to jump in because. <laughs> You know, when the people are listening to this, it's interesting because of, you know, all the interconnections, you know, we're talking about the very superficial layer of nerves at, at our, you know, at our skin. And then we're talking about, you know, the real deep stuff 
you know, is the capsule getting underneath the muscles, getting underneath the tendons, getting underneath the, the ligaments. And, you know, we're producing a lot as, as far as, you know, the recoverability, you know, even like we're talking about the tone, um, you know, we, ha- we, in our, our certified arm care specialist course, we're adding another four hours. It has some, a little bit more detail on um, mobility and, you know, we, we're talking about strength, but then, you know, you're talking about some things that are range of motion generated as well. And, um, you know, the active range of motion also, you know, can indicate where there's some restrictions there that what you're saying is possibly coming from the neck, um, that, that are, that's not allowing maybe too much muscle guarding after throwing. I mean, it would be interesting. I know Jordan taught me some stuff. I'm going to, you know, kind of connect him into this conversation, but looking at head position, and pitchers, I don't know if you've ever heard of this term, Michael, but um, the head whack. Jordan, why don't you talk about the head whack? Because when I'm thinking about the neck and connecting it to the delivery, you know, that's, you know, that and the stack and track element, you know, you think about where when he's talking about the, you know, all these uh, neck related uh, issues that could be impacting, you know, the muscle performance, but also the deeper layers of the passive tissues. I would communicate that for our audience because I, you know, you got the pitching coaches listening to this and uh, there's a place at the table there. Yeah. So head whack is just the old school kind of term of what what your head's doing. And it's generally what it's doing leading into release point. Um, So the head whack is after that guy gets into foot strike and he's going into ball release, that head yanks generally glove side. Um, that's what they call head whack. Um, the way I always kind of looked at it, and I know, um, I'm going to guess this is what you're referring to, Ryan, um, is from what I've noticed and from what a lot of other groups have noticed as well is any head movement, whether it's up, down, left, right, forward, back that happens before foot strike is generally going to be a biomechanical thing. You can clean up. You can teach a player to get that a little bit better through movement modalities is what we'll say. And anything after that front foot lands, that's going to be strength related, possibly range of motion as well in there also of why that compensation is occurring. Um, rarely I've noticed is that it's going to be something where they're actually trying to overthrow and use their head to throw because it's your, your just brain doesn't neurologically say, let's yank our head through to make that excess happen. It's usually because your body can't rotate enough. So it's compensating to get that movement going. So well, I understand, I know Ryan, I think I'm talking about what you're talking about, yeah. <laughs> uh, is that yes, that head does go to try to generate rotational velocity. It's usually because of a strength imbalance or a range of motion issue that causes that everything going on through here to force that to happen. Hopefully, like I said, I hit, I hit the target at least. Yeah. yeah I wanted to, you know, kind of like Michael, when you're listening to this too, I'm not sure how many, you know, therapists out there actually look at the video of the athletes that they're working with, how they throw. Um, but you know, my thought process of the compensations and movement changes that occur is like, imagine, you know, either this is happening at the neck level from the delivery or, you know, they're, uh, they're showing some weakness, you know, whether it's the serratus, basically their scaption strength, their overhead strength's a problem. I see that, that head a- aspect, you know, it's going to follow the trunk. Um, to keep the release point one and to, to c- compete with uh, a loss potentially of velocity that they're going to try to do some things to, to keep that arm speed high. I just, 
you know, it's just interesting when you say that connection, because also what we noticed in, in Major League Baseball, the players that were most accurate, they also had the, the most minimal trunk movement um, and, and they're in head movement. So, you know, this is this is really kind of an interesting thing that, you know, I didn't I didn't uh, think about how that could be happening through your diagnostics that may be important for the future. And what, one of the things I want to shift to, um, Michael, people might not know the actual mechanism of like how dry needling works because you get in there and and you are, you know, helping to neutralize pain and inflammation. Um, and it's been around for a while. So, I mean, it's it's kind of. I remember with a lot of athletes, they needed that point therapy with um, our team. It was just so difficult to manage it with, you know, regular ultrasound. And a lot of players got the relief from that type of therapy, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so I think, too, I, I think um, the way we do dry needling where, where I teach and where I, where I do it uh, at work is um, it's a little different than the traditional model now. Uh, when, when I first started, it was, let's find that trigger point. We're going to pound that thing with the needle and try to loosen up tissue. Um, and that was kind of more the like mobility model, if you will. And then kind of, we started to have a little bit of a paradigm shift there, which came in the, that form of we need stability before we're going to have any mobility. Um, and we started using electrical stimulation on the needles a lot more. And what we found is that you can, there's a couple of things that happen. Number one, if you volitionally recruit a muscle, we go from the, the, the small motor units to the large, right? That's, that's just the normal recruitment. If I'm, if I'm doing a bicep curl, it starts from the small motor units and the heavier weight I get, I've got to get the larger one. When you've got an injury, we lose the bigger ones first. We lose the large ones. They become inhibited. So what we found out is when we put the needle in, actually it's older research than, than what we've been doing, but when you put that needle in there, you've got an indwelling needle, and then we put um, electrical stimulation on that, we get reverse recruitment of musculature, right? So in other words, we'll recruit the large motor units first. So we can help them access um, those, those muscle or those motor units to the muscle that they weren't able to use before. And I think that's where the range of motion comes back is because now all of a sudden we've got control, right? We've got control of that muscle. And now the body says, I'll allow you to go into that full external rotation or into whatever it is that you're trying to get back, right? So it's not so much, some of it's a little bit of a thought process shift, but it's also a bit of like, we're applying it a little differently saying, we need to regain control. If you see, for example, if you take a thrower, um, see it all the time when you see somebody that, that's kind of short arming the ball and they, they just don't get a lot of layback. Um, a lot of people want to go like, let's, let's do a subscap release and let's do a lat release and all that. I'll go, I'm still going to hit the subscap, but the first thing I want to do is I want to turn that thing on, right? So really what I'll do is I'll do that myotomal test where I'm checking it from the neck to see, do they have good activation of that muscle first? Is mm -hmm. it actually working the way it should? And then it's literally like, you know, the old like prime the engine before you start the mower kind of thing. We're putting that electrical stimulation in there. You get that muscle to contract, it's contracting, 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 and you turn that muscle back on, if you will. Um, and it's interesting, I think I sent you a message about this a while ago, um, but there was a kid that I had that had really low arm care score and we needled him and did his arm care right afterwards. And he had inhibited musculature, right? We didn't gain strength for him. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I can't magically give somebody strength. But what we did was we, we impacted the, the muscle fibers that he could recruit. He could suddenly recruit all of them or at least more of them, I should say. 
because we don't know if we could recruit all of them or not. He recruited more, and his strength went up like 15 pounds total. Uh, wow. In his tech. And all we did was we did the front side of the arm, and his, his external rotators got better internal. Um, so, again, maybe there's a learning effect there with doing the test, but he'd done the test plenty of times before, so it wasn't like it was a brand new test for him. Um, and I've been able to reproduce that with a couple different kids where you get this huge jump. And it's, I won't get it if they don't have um, a myotomal issue, right? If they're just weak, that's not going to happen because I can't, like I said, I can't just magically produce strength through a needle. Um, but if they have an, inhibit, an inhibited muscle group, you can turn that thing on and then all of a sudden they've got, you've got to then use that right away in your rehab, whether it's, what it, you know, I'll do manual resistance work, I'll do um, high uh, intensity isometrics to try to get them to recruit those big muscle, those big motor units again, um, so that we're like, hey, we've, we've got it turned on, now you got to use it, right? No point in turning on the lawnmower if you're not going to cut the grass, right? Mm. So that's kind of where I use it now. Um, if you can't, if you can't dry needle, because a lot of people that can't, then you can use vibration, you can use just regular manual resistance work to try to turn stuff on. Um, there's a lot of other ways to do it. Um, but I use, I tend to use the needling a lot because of that recruitment effect on the muscle uh, fibers that we get. This Michael, is, why, this why did he um, originally come see you? What was the trigger there? Um, so he was, that uh, young man was a, he had had a um, Tommy John surgery um, and he was getting back to throwing and it was going fairly well, but he was still having, in pain, but his pain was in his shoulder when he was throwing. And so what we did was he had been see the trainer, seen the doc, and they're like, you know, it, it is what it is. Just keep getting stronger. You'll be okay. So he came to me and we're like, okay, let's let's check the neuro side of it, right? Because he's doing all his exercises. He's working with a great strength coach. Um, he's doing his on care stuff. He's doing his other, you know, all the other stuff he should be doing. Um, but he just was that shoulder was inhibited. He turned that thing on and he was he actually. He actually went, we, we went, this was not just me. I'm not trying to take credit for this by any means, but he had like five weeks in a row where he PR'd um, on the mound. Every time we were needling, he, he kept PRing. And I was like, he's like, this is awesome. I was like, dude, it's not going to be that. Like, this is, I'm telling you, it's not, it's not that magic, right? Like, still, you still got to work out, you know? So yeah, it was, that, he had that had doesn't fit baseball player science though. It's just like, if that worked, I should just do more of that and I'll be okay. <laughs> right, just so. keep doing it. Yeah, more needles. It's got to work. The the yeah. interesting thing is, you know, there's I, I deal with a lot of injured major league players, and the level of rigor you're going to with this evidence based process of therapy is incredible. I mean this this is kind of where I wanted the conversation to swing. As far as being a clinician, you're really fact checking your methodologies. I mean, you're using the tool to evaluate the extent of the therapy provided. And, and to me, um, a lot of the athletes that I work with, they're really on their own. They're, they're giving me that information, but the, you know, some of the major league, um, you know, therapists, they're just overwhelmed. They're just overwhelmed. There's just too many guys yeah. that they just don't have enough time to spend doing these evaluations where they're critical. I mean, look at these particular cases, you know, I'm sure there are, there are athletes out there that really have slow functioning strength, you know, and they, you know, and it might be this problem, you know, to move the needle, no, no pun intended, but like there's, there's, you know, something really interesting there um, in the way you're going about this process and uh, attacking any kind of roadblocks 
but with the with the evidence, you know, 15 pounds, you said 15 pounds and people might not think that's a lot, but like pick up a 15 pound dumbbell, like just pick one up and, and really feel that's how much strength went back in the arm. I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. I would even take five pounds, you know, but yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty significant. Um, but, but that's kind of, you know, what, what I visualize and what we've talked about as a company is, you know, we're hitting the coach model. They're able to connect spin metrics and velocity metrics and, you know, really understand how to manage their throwing programs, their weighted ball training programs and their pitching schedules. But this medical side, man, it's a mystery. It, 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 it really is. I mean, let me ask you this question. When the patient is gone, your athletes, you know, finish their, their course of treatment. How, how much uh, interaction do you have afterwards now that they, you know, would they have the device, um, you know, so that you can check in again when these things may have changed or how does that work when, you know, the athletes graduated on? Yeah. I mean, um, there's a few that have it. I, I tell them all to get it, whether they do it or not is another story. Right. Um, the, I check in with a lot of my throwers, um, particularly as a, it's like, luckily I've got a, again, an awesome strength coach that I work with. So a lot of them, um, he was a, he was a minor league pitcher. He's, he's a, he's on board with the arm care stuff, but he tests his guys all the time. Our art, our showed guys all the time as well as just his guys. Um, and so he ends up, we'll kind of, kind of share the throwing progression work, um, the interval throwing program stuff. Um, as we're getting them back to throwing, because you know I think having his input on it is is pretty awesome because he's again a, a brilliant guy. And so as they go off on their own, if they're at school or if they're you know even if, whether it's high school or college or whatever it is, um, you know I check in with those guys a lot, and some of them have access to it, some of them don't, unfortunately. Um, I've even tried to encourage some of the trainers like. Get, you know, if you're at XYZ D3 school, like it's, it's 300 bucks, 250 bucks, whatever to, you know, like get one and then you can, you know, teach the guys how to test themselves. You know, it's not hard to do. Um, takes five minutes. Um, but I, I tell you what, it's like, I, I've used it on a bunch of different levels from my side of, um, you know, in the clinic. But I also, I coach on the on youth level for my kids. My daughter's uh, 12U travel softball team. I just took her whole softball team through the through this stuff and did the math myself for him because I didn't have 11 girls go buy the app just yet. Um, but, but, uh, but we did all the math and I'm like, all right, girls, here's what we got. Let's see that. Here's our team averages. Here's what we are, you know, and, and figuring out where they all sit. Cause we had a number of girls that, you know, 11, 12 years old that already has arm pain. In the throat. And I'm like, I can't be, there's no pain in throat. softball. Everyone says you can't have a sore arm in softball. <laughs> no, no, there's not at all. <laughs> right? Don't you know that? You might, I don't think yeah. you're thinking of softball. Yeah, that's what I told him. I'm like, Listen, I can't be the physical therapist that has kids with arm pain on their team, right? Like, I can't be that guy. Um, so, I mean, again, I've used it kind of all in, in different phases, but some of the kids will come back, uh, not necessarily on my team, but the um, the patients will come back, you know, on a break and be like, hey, I need to get this thing tested again, see where we're at, all that kind of thing. So I'll have people just come in just for the testing sometimes, and, um, you know, and then we kind of say, okay, here's what we need to do going forward. Here's where you're at. Here's where you need to adjust things. Um, and, you know, here's a plan for you going forward and keep checking in and I'll keep checking in. College kids are tough because honestly, out of sight, out of mind until you start, it's 
start hurting again. And then they're like, ah, what was that guy's name again? Oh yeah, I gotta call Mike. Uh, so because <laughs> they're you know they're in the dining hall, they're in the whatever it is. Yeah. So Michael, I'm I'm curious of of all the athletes you're seeing. I mean, what percentage are you finding have some neurological component to what's going on that you feel like it's maybe not the factor, but one of the factors into what's going on? Um, as far as percentage, that's a tough question. What I would say is when you have, like, sometimes I can almost tell by their, um, when they walk through the door, talking to them in five minutes, which, which one it's going to be. <clears throat> and it kind of comes down to, um, you know, the guys that, that typically the ones where I check it first are the, they've been to the trainer for a while and they went to therapy somewhere else and it just isn't getting better. And they can't, and the MRI is pretty clean. Um, and they've had injections and it didn't work. And they're like, there's something else that's going on here that's holding you up. Let's check this first. I will check it on everybody, but those ones where it's been a chronic issue um, for a while, those are like the, the red, I won't say red flag, but red alert ones. Like, okay, let's go check this right away. If it's somebody that's, that's a fresh injury, right? Um, you know, I was just, it was just last week and I was throwing and I felt a little bit of something in my shoulder. And um, those tend to be a little bit more just your regular acute injury right like they got a strain or something like that so um, i'll still check it there but a lot of times it's a little bit cloudy because it's, it's acute so it's painful anyway um so we're gonna have to clear some of that up before we can we can really test um the, 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 the neuro kind of side of it so um you know as far as the percentage it's higher than you'd think i mean i'd still say you probably got i mean because how many guys come in and they got chronic arm and shoulder pain um one of one of the lucky things I have in my teaching with, I teach with a company called Evidence in Motion and there's different arms. We've got the, uh, the dry needling sides and then there's people that do a lot of pain science stuff. And so I'm lucky enough to be able to ask them questions on like the brain processing and things like that. And, and one of the things I'm trying to figure out, but there's really no answer out there yet, to be honest, is if I have the strain of my posterior rotator cuff, right? There's other muscles that go up to the cervical spine through that. Right. If I have a strain there, eventually if it hangs around long enough, does it manifest because it's going up to the same level on that cervical spine? Does other stuff then become affected? What we know from just the pain science world is that if I have a shoulder injury in general, you know, the homunculus, that's the picture of the brain where like the body's laying over the brain, you've got different representations. That shoulder representation on the, on the brain will get smudged after an injury. Right. Um, so it stands the reason in my mind, even if it's, you know, if it's a specific muscle, if I'm going to smudge that whole shoulder on the brain's representation, that everything's going to start to be a little bit depressed over time as far as that neurological um, input, output, whatever you want to say. Um, so I kind of, again, I check it on everybody. If it's acute, you don't tend to see it as much, but if it's acute it's like, or acute on chronic, whatever you want to call it, or something that becomes chronic, then I tend to see it more in those kind of issues. But again, it's certainly not 100% on that, but, but it's there. That was a long-winded answer. No, it's good. I'm, and you're working through the, <laughs> the range of athletes from 12-year-old softball players yeah. on up. So, yeah. Now, I, I'm curious to know if you, if you see something similar. And when I was working more um, on the private side of things, when I was living out in California, we had a lot of athletes that would come in to rehab or – you know, they needed to get back to the big leagues and they needed to do something. And our kind of general rule of thumb was whenever someone's inhibited 
It's usually because there was an injury or something that had happened generally, especially as you're dealing with an older athlete and they were either physiologic, which is, you know, there's something structurally wrong still psychologic to where they have that. I know Ryan likes the word kinesiophobia. Um, and then, or there's neurologic. And what we found is as the athlete got older, almost hundred percent of the time it was neurologic. And we needed to trick the body into getting that nervous system activated and potentiated before they would even think about throwing a baseball. It's like, we need to get your nervous system firing. And we used uh, vibe weights, vibratory plates. We didn't have dry needling yeah. with, you know, electrodes or anything like that. Um, you know, uh, the uh, uh, TENS units, we would do anything we could to to get that that nervous system firing. And as the athlete got younger, it generally turned into more of a psychological do you notice similar aspects with that? Or was that just kind of a unique uh, observation on my end? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think, first off, I love the use of the vibration and the tens unit stuff. I've done all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell people all the time, like, if you can't needle, go put a tens unit. Yeah, I mean, they weren't, we were just safety pinning it. guys. And it wasn't yeah. working well. So that's why we went, I'm just joking. I'm not I'm stabbing anyone with safety pins. But. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, but I mean, I, I, it's exactly what I said. I'm like, dude, go use whatever you can to stimulate that that nervous system. As far as the um, the differences, what I would say is on the younger athletes, they tend to respond really well to that neuro, that dry needling treatment. So if I do find it on them, for the most part, not 100% true. But a lot of times they need like just a couple treatments and it's like, bam, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And their and their system, you know, figures it out quick and, and goes. Whereas you have somebody that's got a more chronic issue, it takes longer for it to respond. Like anything, right? It's like a chronic injury always takes longer to get better than a acute one-time kind of thing. But their nervous system, like you said, has been kind of, I don't want to say under assault, but it's been, it's been, uh, inefficient for a long time and you're trying to kind of get it back online so i mean it stands the reason i mean just in general with, with an older system that's been packed longer right so you've got your, your older athlete probably would seem to have more of that um mm-hmm. you know a lot of my guys i talk out probably in the in the you know college-ish area for most of my guys so um you know in the in the general clinic when i'm treating the general population um, again, I would say it takes a little bit longer to respond. You do see a little bit more of a depressed nervous system response. Whether there's more of the neurological, yeah, probably because you know um, postural things have been going on longer. Um, there's just a slower nervous system uh, reaction to things in general. So yeah, I mean, I would, mm-hmm. I would think you're probably right. I mean, I don't have any scientific evidence to prove it. Yeah. But, Neither do I. It's just that, that's just yeah. my random observations. So <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have all the white papers. I just keep notes on things. <laughs> yeah. I got to have hey, Brian run a research study. Yeah, me too. Mm. <laughs> well, one of the things before we go, uh, Michael, I want to touch on is that, you know, with this arm care elite group, I, I'm curious your take on it because we've only really allowed one of those scrums to be public. We haven't made the open off office hour public, but want to know what you you know you've taken a ton of education you're an educator yourself so i'd like to see your perspective on you know the extension and the enrichment of the courses you're taking and and also the interconnection especially with jordan and i you know being educators as well but 
you know, furthering the application of your information. I don't want, I, I just wanted you to comment a little bit on that because we really want to grow this and have people learn, you know, amongst each other, you know, such as, you know, specialists from you. So love to get your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely loved both of the courses. I will say as a, as a, in the clinic, um, you know, as a clinician, the biomechanics one was a lot tougher for me just because it's not what I do all the time. So I was like, all right, I got to rewatch that five times. I, I guess that's what, he, what he's talking about. Um, but being able to take that uh, information and, and apply it is great. I was able to go down to the, to the Orioles lab and watch, watch their guys do some stuff. So like trying to compare my notes on those two and like watch what he was talking about. It was like, okay, I'm starting to get it a little bit more. Um, the arm care specialist course, I've used that a ton. Um, all the information there. I go back and reference my notes on that. Um, I can't wait to watch the extra four hours that are coming out. Um, the, I would say, I mean, I think what it's been able to do is it kind of changes um, some of my decision-making in, in the clinic, right? Whether it's programming, just like, you know what, you're a lot weaker on this side than I thought you were, or, or your long lever is a lot weaker than your short lever stuff. Um, you know, hey, we got to really work on this grip, whatever it is. Um, I, I would tell you that, that it's even changed some of our, decisions from like a surgical perspective um actually the same guy that i was telling about earlier with it with that big jump in strength um great kid he's just getting ready to come back um to, to play and he managed to tear his labrum in a pickup game of football um oh, they boy. tore it yeah i know poor kid they just want this guy to throw a pitch in college so, uh, he's a great kid but but he tore it inferiorly he, he was going up and his arm got hit tore it inferiorly rather than like Typical flap, and so man, we rehab the knot out of that shoulder. Um, and he was early on; he was a relatively low, um, you know, armchair score. We had him up to eighty-eight. He was an eighty-eight score, twenty-seven percent ER, twenty-five IR. Which I was actually telling him, yeah. But I was, and I still think you look at you look at those numbers, and I go based on where your tear is, like I actually want your ER probably, or your IR rather to be a little bit higher than your ER. Because of right. 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 Um, but he was still 25%. So anyway, long story, um, long story longer. He started throwing because he, I mean, we're like, you're at an 88, let's check it. And he looked great clinic. Um, he starts throwing and we're at like 40, 45 feet. He's just having pain and he feels like his arms flipping in and out you know, heads are flipping around. Um, and again, because it was, a, it was like a three to six thirty pair. So when he goes into that full ER, is as that, as you go up there, the, the, the subscap's actually moving to the top of the shoulder. So it's not there to protect the interior side. There was nothing there. Um, and we just got to the point where like, look, dude, I don't think getting to a 90 or a 92 on this is going to, is going to matter. I think we got to fix the structure, right? Like, um, so I think, again, it's not always like, hey, we're driving back to getting the throw. Like, sometimes you're looking at it going, this is telling us that we've done, and he was, everything else was checking the box, right? He was doing all his scapular work. He was doing all his core work. He's working out with his, with his strength coach like crazy. Like everything was up higher. Um, and so we're like, dude, if we can't throw at 45 feet, Lord, at, you know, at 20% effort, like Lord help us when we're on the mound, right? Uh, if we even get there. So that was, again, it, at that point, the arm care helped us to know, like, if we're not, you're in an 88 and you can't throw without your 
feel unstable, we've got to fix the structure. There's just no chance. Uh, so, you know, I think there's different ways to use it. I think grabbing, you know, again, knowing those numbers and, and what the kind of the benchmarks should be, and then knowing like, okay, I've got an altered structure here. I've got compromised labrum or, a, you know, a tear, or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, like, I, I have to get these up higher. And then when you know, like, they are higher and we're still having a problem, everything else is checking the boxes. All right, well, now we're probably looking at surgery. Or, hey, they're back. Look how great you're doing. You know, hopefully it's more that end. But sometimes it's, sometimes it's not. Interesting. Very cool. Well, listen, um, I want to hear a little bit more about your facility because you founded it. Tell us why. Um, what's the goal of it? Who are you looking to treat? What, give us some details there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've been a therapist 18 years and um, have done the, the outpatient orthopedic thing. I still do it, um, contracting with different places. Uh, but I started the Movement Science Project about two years ago. It's supposed to start in 2019, early 2020. And then COVID destroyed the world. So I kind of had to wait for a little while. But um, so, you know, I started with the goal of I've always loved treating the overhead athletes. I've always loved treating baseball and softball. And, and I did swimming and diving and all these other things. So I was like, you know what? I want to focus on just this. Um, so <clears throat> I would say it's not actually a facility. It, it is a practice where I work out of other baseball facilities. Uh, so I go in and I'm still in the corner with the table treating guys and, and that kind of thing. But the great part about that is, you know, the strength coach right there. And I say, his name's also Mike. Hey, Mike, what about this? And, you know, and we're back and forth on pretty much everything um, that goes on with these athletes. I think it really gives a great integration of, of both of those sides of things as we get them back to play. So um, it's really allowed me to, to kind of take that more granular look um, where we say, all right, look, we've got an entire hour, you and me. Let's break this thing down as far as we can. If we're not done in an hour, the next time we see each other, we'll keep going. Um, and so it, I don't want to say it helps micromanage uh, these athletes, but it kind of helps me micromanage <laughs> the athletes mm -hmm. a little bit where it's just like runners. Sometimes you can't really – you can't hand somebody something and just say, hey, why don't you just go throw a little bit and see what happens. Um, you got to be like, okay, you got to be there with them at least first in time. Whether it's whether you're using number of pitches or whether you're using intensity or whatever you're using as a benchmark for them on the return throwing, getting back on the field, whatever, um, it kind of really allows us the freedom to, to kind of do that. So the company is just me. Um, you know, again, I'm I'm out of a couple of baseball facilities and and hopefully it's gonna keep growing it to a bigger and bigger uh, facility at some point. Very cool. Well, I'll definitely put um your information in the show notes here. If you're in the Philadelphia area, you should definitely check Michael out. Um, very informative. I appreciate uh, appreciate the time. And uh, for everybody else, um, it's more than velocity. And uh, have a good day. Take care.